through chapter 11 today. If you have your cell phones, your iPads, whatever you got, your Bible apps, I read out of the New King James Version. Um, I don't believe that there's one version necessarily that's supreme over another. There's several different versions of the Bible that I like and that I use. Um, my, my senior pastor, when I was growing up, used the New King James. That's how I landed on the New King James, and I just have been in it so long I stay with it. Um, several other, like I said, translations of the, the Bible that are, that are really good. Um, but if you want to follow along verbatim with me, I'm in the New King James. And so... Um, chapter 11. Now we've come through this progression in Matthew and I want to tell you something in the end of John's gospel, John said that if everything Jesus did and said was recorded, he said, I suppose that all the books of, of in the world would not contain the things that Jesus did. And, And I highlight that to tell you that I want you to understand that as we read through the gospels, we're not getting the everyday verbatim chronological, exactly everything, totally that Jesus did and, and, and performed and who he was. We're getting pieces, little pieces that, that the Holy Spirit has chosen to highlight for us. Now we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call those the, who knows? Synoptic gospels because they're very similar in so many ways. And then John's gospel kind of stands alone, but each of the four gospels by the Holy Spirit is intended for a certain purpose to show Jesus's deity, to show Jesus humanity, to show Jesus as a king and to show Jesus as a servant. So in um, Mark's, I'm sorry, in Matthew's gospel, his assignment by the Holy Spirit was to show us that Jesus is a king and his rightful place as a king. And, and so we start, right, and, and, and we have this genealogy, this detailed genealogy in Matthew to start. And it proves that Jesus can, can prove his line back to the, the rightful king of Israel, the first king of Israel, King David, and then his son Solomon. And through this line of kings in Israel, we come to Jesus, and Matthew proves that. You know, no Jew today can prove their genealogy back to David. Because Titus Vespasian, in A.D. 70, when he sacked Jerusalem and burned the temple to get the gold from the temple, he purposely destroyed all the genealogical records that the Jews meticulously kept. So today there are no records um, that go back beyond those times. Only Jesus can prove his genealogical line to David and then all the way back to um, Abraham, and then all the way back from there to Adam. And Jesus's line traced all the way from Adam to Jesus in, in the Bible. And so Matthew gives us that. Now we get to Mark's gospel, right? What does Mark tell you about Jesus's childhood, about his genealogy, about his birth, about the wise men? What does Mark tell you? Not a word. You get to Mark's gospel and the first day that it starts, Jesus is 33 years old. He's already started his ministry. Um, he's, he's healing Peter's mother-in-law. He's healing sick people. He's performing miracles. And Mark just starts right there and just goes because Mark has a different direction um, from the Holy Spirit in his gospel. And he's not trying to prove all those things. And he has a different audience. But, but, but Matthew, who's showing Jesus as a king, starts with his genealogy. Then it goes to um, the wise men. And who were the wise men coming to see? You're not sure? Matthew was trying to prove Jesus was a what? A king. And the wise men came to see a king. And then we go from there. We see his baptism, his, um, his temptation of Satan. And then he goes into his earthly ministry. And from there, he begins, Matthew begins then in 5, 6, and 7, right? The Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is the greatest 
blank. Jesus is the greatest. It's interactive. That's just to keep you guys awake, really. I'm not, I'm not challenging your Bible knowledge. I'm not. Jesus is the greatest teacher in 5, 6, and 7. The Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. And so Matthew spends and shows us that aspect of the life of Jesus. He's a king who's the greatest teacher. And then, and then we go on, and in, in chapters 8 and 9, now Matthew is, is surrounded of 10 miracles. And each one of the 10 miracles, as we walked through in the last week, they show a different area of life that Jesus has power over. That Jesus is preeminent and dominant. And, and, and the last one, the culmination, after he heals a bunch of people that are sick, he, he commands the winds and the seas and the disciples marvel because the winds and the sea obey this man. He raises a young girl from the dead, showing his power over sin and death. And then in chapter 10, it's now time. Like he's, he's established all of this. Now it's time to send you and I out to share the gospel, to um, teach people, to proclaim Jesus. And you remember they, the disciples go out and they come back all fired up about what happened on their little um, close missionary journey that they went on. And they're, they're so pumped that, that, that people got healed and demons were cast out of folks. And, and, and it says that it brought Jesus joy to see the reaction of the disciples when they came back from their missionary journey. And, and then Jesus, now in chapter 11, is going to give us, and it brings us to the place now where all this stuff has happened to build up to something that is so important in your life and my life, and it's the great invitation. It's the great invitation for you to come to Jesus. Now, there's no more establishing who he is, proving who he is, showing what he can do in his power. You, you have all that information now in the first 10 chapters. And so chapter 11, we come to the real first call of Jesus to you and I to come to him. And, and do you realize that, that the Bible is full and Jesus was constantly using this concept, come to me, come, come, come to Jesus. Come and see. When we first started this church, we prayed and we asked God for what was going to be our slogan. What was going to be our thing we were going to print on our, on our business cards and on our signs. And that would be our kind of brand when we started. On our website, on our Facebook page. And, and, and what God gave us was a verse in John that says, come and see. And you'll see that printed on a lot of our things. We've, we've used some other things in the last five years now. It was five years ago. But the concept is come and see. I did a celebration of life service right here yesterday. Um, this is Nancy. Her husband passed away, Robert. You guys remember Nancy and Robert. He passed away um, a couple days ago. And we did the celebration of life service here yesterday. And, and what, a, what an amazing um, event to be a hold of, right? And it's, it's bittersweet. You know, Bob has gone home to be with the Lord. But I'll tell you as a church, it, it, it's, it's one of the, one of the things that, that we get to do to really reach to our community. And it's powerful. Our worship team comes and they're amazing. They sang five songs yesterday. We sang worship songs. We sang songs, uh, hymns, and, and, and they just minister life to those that are coming, that are mourning, those that are hurting. And I got to share the gospel and I got to share the truth of Jesus. And, and, and I had um, lots of people after the service so thankful. So many people came up and said, oh, we're so thankful. We're so, it was such a great service and we're so blessed. And, and really for us in, in Tooele County, one of the things I've experienced is that a lot of people have never experienced an evangelical service. They've never been to a Christian burial service ever. It's the first time they've experienced it. And people of all walks come to celebration of life services, right? You know, and so we're all different faiths. 
Lots of LDS folks, lots of non-Christians, lots of just people of all different faiths. Every, people that wouldn't normally come through our doors will come to a celebration, come through these doors and sit in these chairs for a celebration of life service. And the worship team ministers to them in music in a powerful way. And the music is powerful and the worship team is amazing. And, you know, it's such a one-two punch. I'm so proud. You know, one of the things I'm so excited for is to have a, a team, a, a worship team that's willing to come on their Saturday and give half their Friday away practicing to come and minister and, and, and minister to our community and to this family. And, and, and such a cool part to be a part of it. And when a guy after the service, you know, we get this all the time, he said, oh, you know, like, like, like I'm, he, he said, oh, we've been, we've been at the, uh, this other church for a while and we haven't been going now and we just didn't really, you know, whatever, not, not there anymore. And, um, but not really doing anything. And he said, we've been meaning to come. We're going to come to church. And he was a little nervous about telling me, like, I don't know, like if he thought I was judging him or something for not coming to church. He's like, oh, yeah, I know. And I was like, no, it's cool, man. And so here's what I always tell people in that same situation. The same idea that Jesus talks about here. And I told this, I told him, I said, look, the Bible just says come and see. And I realized for some people that our, our, our church, our evangelical church in Tooele County is, is new and it's different. And maybe you don't know what to expect or what it's like. But here's what I tell you. Come and check it out. And you can't decide in one week, so don't just come for a week and find a reason to leave. Commit to a month. Commit to six weeks and come and see what you think. At the end of six weeks, at the end of a month, you decide it's not my flavor, it's not my style, it's, it's, it's not my speed. Then, then go and get plugged in somewhere else, but definitely be obedient to what the Word of God says and get plugged in somewhere. But come and see and, and, and check it out. Just come and check it out. That's what I told him yesterday. Just come and check it out. Come and be a part. I also did a wedding yesterday. And so um, I was the marrying and burying pastor yesterday. I told a friend of mine, no names. I said, uh, I said yeah, I have, I have a, a, a celebration of life and a wedding today. And he said, oh, so you got two funerals, huh? And I said, well, you got to give me at least one celebration. Bob went home to be with the Lord, you know. <laughs> he was kidding. So was I. But uh, so... Um, Anyways, uh, come and see. That was where we were at. So Jesus gives us this invitation. And before we get to verse 1, let's look at it in verse number 28. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Does that sound like a good invitation to anybody in here? Can somebody say amen? amen. Like that, that to me is one of the most inviting invitations that you can receive or that I can hear. Jesus says, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Listen to what Jesus says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, what, what did Jesus say about himself? Why, why do you not come to Jesus? What are you afraid of? What part of your life are you trying to make yourself happy in? Are you trying to please that prevents you from fully coming to Jesus in your life? I challenge you. Go tell me. Go show me in the Bible with all the words of Jesus recorded. What did Jesus say? And every invitation, every, every request of Jesus for you and offer for you to come to him. It's always so inviting. It's always so welcoming. There's nothing in it that should scare us away. Everything in it says, yes, yes, yes. Jesus loves me. Jesus has a good plan for my life. I can fully trust Jesus with every part of my life. He has my best interests at hand. He cares for me. He wants to give me rest. He wants to give me life abundantly. He wants to take care of me, show me love. 
and everything about the invitation of Jesus. And here we get this amazing invitation. So we're going to come to that, hopefully, if I can keep moving. But I wanted to start there, that this chapter culminates and this section of Matthew ends in this invitation to Jesus. And before we before we we go on, I want to give each one of you an invitation to come to Jesus. The invitation is simple. Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest. Come and see, go and tell. And so let's pray right now. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Let's all pray out loud together. And if you mean this in your heart and you want to ask Jesus in your heart and you want to receive him right now in your life and come to Jesus, we'll give you that opportunity as we pray. Let's pray together out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. I realize I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe that you died on a cross and rose again the third day. Please come into my life. I give myself to you. I come to you. I respond to your invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at verse number one. It says, now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. Verse 11 gives two distinctions of what Jesus went out to do. And they were what? To teach and preach. Now, are the two things different or is or is the Holy Spirit telling us the same thing twice? So we find this concept biblically over and over again that, that, that to teach and preach are two different things. Now, what do what do I do? You guys, you know, do I teach or preach or what am I doing now? You guys are like, I wish I knew. <laughs> well, the 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 two are um, interchangeable. They really are. There's, there's times where maybe in a message, um, you know, I think I'm more comfortable in a preaching role than I am in a teaching role because I'm not a real intellectual type of, of student of the word. I'm more of a heart, you know, relationship, passion. You know, I'd just rather get up here and cry than, you know, tell you about some, some, some you know, thing you're not going to understand anyways that I took 27 hours to study. But, um, but both functions are very necessary in in what Jesus did and what we're supposed to do. Now, just like I explained with baby dedication and baptism and why we as a church have adopted to dedicate babies and baptize adults, because that's what happened in Jesus's life. We want to also follow the other models of the Bible. And, and, you know, the models of the Bible are to teach and preach. So there's a season to preach. But I think what happens in so many churches, unfortunately, is, is there's a lot of preaching and not a lot of teaching because teaching sometimes is work. Teaching is sometimes laborious. If you stay here in our church, I teach the Old Testament on Wednesday nights and the New Testament on Sunday mornings. It'll take you about seven years to go through the entire Bible with me if you come on Wednesday nights. We're, and, and part of those, those things that we do on, on, on Wednesday nights, there's teaching parts that, that are work. And a lot of churches won't do it. And it doesn't draw the biggest crowd sometimes because it's like going to class almost. You know, and, and, and there's maybe a more entertaining way or, or I could just come and every other week I could just preach Romans chapter eight, verse 28, and God will work all things together for good in your life. You know, I just preach that every week and I just tell you how, how God's going to work everything for good in your life. And, you know, the chairs will fill up a little bit faster, but I won't be doing us a service if we don't both teach and preach the word of God. What Greg Laurie does at a Harvest Crusade, that's what? That's preaching. 
right? He's giving something that's a, an emotional call. It's an invitation to respond. It's, it's playing on heartstrings. It's, it, it's, it's calling you to respond, much like what Jesus said in verse 28 would be preaching. Come to me. But what we're going to do in a minute, I think, is more just teaching as we go through. But I'll tell you, there, there's such a value in just knowing the stories of Genesis to Revelation. You know, as we go through the Old Testament, half the time it's not even so much squeezing blood out of a turnip because sometimes it feels that way at times and we kind of move through those. But it's, it's those stories of faith that if you'll put them into your life and you'll do the work of reading your Bible and, and knowing those stories. I, show, I shared one of Samuel and Hannah, amazing faith story. A faith story that if you know it and you read it and you study it, when you face something similar in your life, it's going to help you. It's going to teach you to walk with Jesus a little closer. It's going to give you the tools that you need to make good decisions as you go through those things faithfully. Now, unfortunately, what happens in some places or some, some churches where um, there's a lot of preaching and no teaching, the, the, the long-term result is we, we don't produce Christians that have a, a mature maturity in their walk. They're just less mature. And I don't mean that to badmouth anybody or any other churches. I haven't named anybody specifically. But the thing is, Lydia's dad was, was a denominational preacher for nine years before he came into Calvary Chapel and became a Calvary Chapel pastor. And in nine years, he, 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 he prayed every week and asked God what part of the Bible he was supposed to cover that Sunday. And then he would preach a sermon out of the section. And he, and he went back and he kept every one of his sermons for nine years in folders and files and there's huge sections of the Bible in nine years that he never covered. And there's other places like Romans chapter 8 that he preached like 12 times over that time, the same section of Scripture. And, and, and unfortunately, what, what happens is, again, you, you're not going to develop a maturity, a growth. So preaching is for responding. Teaching is for maturity. Teaching is for growing and, and, and teaching us how to walk with Jesus, how to be more like Jesus. So Jesus did both. Both are necessary. And again, I think here, you know, I like to think that I do a little bit of teaching. I do a little bit of preaching, sometimes both. I'm more comfortable preaching than teaching, but um, I'd rather just yell at you in Jesus' name. But we got to teach. So listen, it says in chapter 2, it says in verse 2, and when John heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and he said to him, are you the one coming or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things that you see. Now we have responses and opposition recorded in this chapter. Now I want to tell you something about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, as Jesus is going to say in a minute, he was the greatest prophet that ever lived. Jesus is going to say that about John the Baptist. Like you talk about the highest compliment right out of the mouth of Jesus about your life. And Jesus says, you're the greatest prophet that's ever lived. When I first heard that, I'm like, come on, Jesus. Do you know Daniel? Do you know Isaiah? Ezekiel? Really? John? Like, okay, I like John, but you know, the Bible has nothing bad to say about Daniel. And Daniel really is impressive. His life is impressive. Who he is is impressive. Like you really impressed by this this prophet of the old testament daniel and you're like doesn't he get a nod but no john the baptist jesus said was greater elijah elijah made axe heads float on top of the water for fun elijah prayed and said hey i don't want it to rain for three years and it didn't rain for three years and then he prayed and said okay it can rain and it started raining 
And John is better. And that's what Jesus said. So Jesus is going to pay him this amazing compliment. John is the guy. Listen, John the Baptist, he, he really is a unique individual. He's somebody we can learn so much from. John the Baptist, he made a paradigm shift, an amazing change in human history with his ministry. You know the thing that I teach about communion, right? Passover. Something happened that we missed the night that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper on Passover. What happened was, for thousands of years, Jews had celebrated Passover in remembrance of Moses, right? Rightfully so. That's what Passover is all about. It's about Moses leading the children out and the Passover. And on the night that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, a day before he was going to die on a cross... Jesus got, gathered the disciples, something Jesus would have done 32 other times in his life and several other times with this group of men. And Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. That was radical at the time. What do you mean in remembrance of you? Of you? This, is, this is about Moses. So for the first time in human history, the, everything changes. Now Passover is about Jesus. Well, John, something real similar. The blood of lambs covered your sins for all of, of history past. It was a concept that everybody understood. It was a picture of the coming Messiah. But, but the blood of lambs covered your sin. And John, he says, behold the Lamb of God who, first time ever, radical, who takes away the sins of the world. And so John, who proclaims this new truth, this is John. I'm trying to build John up for you guys. John is, he's powerful in his ministry. Now, before John and before Jesus died on the cross, nobody went to heaven, right? I mean, nobody went to be with God in heaven. Where did people go? Where did folks go? Abraham's bosom. They went to the Bible, describes it as a temporary place. Half of it was torment. The other half was, was paradise. Do you remember the story Jesus tells about Lazarus? Lazarus and the rich man. Not Lazarus who he raised from the dead. A different Lazarus. Lazarus and, and the rich man. Lazarus was the poor beggar. They both died. One went to the good side. One went to the side of torment. And the rich man realized he wasn't going to get out. And when he realized he wasn't going to get out, he, he asked that they would send word back to his brothers. And then when Jesus died on the cross, it says before he ascended, he first descended. Where did he go? He went to that place, that literal place that's there today. It's physical. It's there. It's temporary. Jesus goes to Abraham's bosom, temporary on the paradise side. And now these folks, you know, what, what was, why were all those folks down there in, in Abraham's bosom and not in heaven with God? Because the blood of lambs does what? Covers sin. And their sins still remain and you can't be in the presence of God with sin. And it says that Jesus set captivity free. And now the blood of Jesus Christ takes away their sins. And so now all those, those folks' sins are taken away. And today, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when you die today, there's no more. The, the side of, of Abraham's bosom that was paradise is empty. Because today we go straight from the Lord because of Jesus. Now, John the Baptist is an amazing individual. And what's going to happen is he is going to get, listen, depressed. You guys don't like that word. That's not a word we've used in church for the last 20 years. It's like faux pas. He is, we, we, we use the word discouraged, but we're splitting hairs, right? 
And, and, then, and then when somebody in church tells you they're depressed, you say, oh, oh, oh don't, don't, don't receive that, don't claim that, or you're not a very good Christian. And we do get this idea, right? Me personally, you guys as well, I understand. And I, I hope to speak to it a little bit today to set your mind at ease. There, there are seasons of depression. There are seasons of doubt. There are seasons of discouragement. I've read people try to explain away John the Baptist's feeling here in this, in this chapter when he sends this message to Jesus and he's frustrated and he's depressed and he's discouraged and he says, Jesus, are you the one or are we to look for another? Trying to explain it away. I would never try to explain it away. I think John was, just like you and I, subject to the same thing that all of the greats in the Bible went through. And if they weren't excluded from it, what makes you think that you or I would be excluded from facing seasons of depression, seasons of doubt? I want to tell you in our church, it's okay not to be okay. And I encourage you, if you're going through some kind of season, seek somebody out, tell somebody. Now, here's what, here's why, and rightfully so, to some degree, it's become kind of, you know, the X factor in churches is because we feel like if we tell people that it's okay to face seasons of depression, that we're telling him it's okay to live in depression. We're not telling him that. We, we, we understand that there has to be a season of victory and that these are seasons. And if we're being honest with these people in the Bible, they didn't live there forever. They went through times of it and they healed and they got better. But while you're going through that time, we always feel like we're somehow less than. We feel like, oh, you know, everybody else around me is always so happy. No, they're not. They're faking it better than you. And, and, and I have to, you know, put on this... this Christianese and I have to put on this fake face and we don't want any of that. I want to say it's okay not to be okay. And it's definitely, and and we're not saying for anybody that we want you to live there or stay there. We don't, we want you to have victory over those things in Jesus name. And we believe that's true. And any medications that you're taking for it, you need to seek the Lord for those. And you need that. And that needs to be temporary solution because a permanent solution is Jesus and not those things. Those things are only temporary and they're not going to help long-term. And if God allows you for a season because, because it helps for a season, as long as you understand that you're seeking God during that season and asking God and knowing that it's God that's going to heal your life and asking him for relief and for, for, from those things. We'll pick five characters in the Bible. I don't, know, I don't think I got five. I think I only got four. Let's go Moses, Elijah. Oh, I do have five maybe. King David. We'll use John the Baptist and Paul the Apostle. Pretty impressive group. Pretty good Bible guys. Like, hey, Bible guy, you know. So Moses in Numbers chapter 11, he's, he's so frustrated. Now, you got to give it to Moses a little bit, right? He led two million whiny Jews out of Egypt, and they just complained and murmured the whole time. And no matter what he did, it was never right. He goes up on the mountain, and he's spending 40 days with God. He comes down, his face is glowing. He's got the Ten Commandments in his hand. And, and these people that he leads are dancing nakedly around this calf that Aaron fashioned and, you know, to the song Born to be Wild was they're partying as he comes down the hill. And Moses gets mad and he throws the, the Ten Commandments down. And the original Ten Commandments that God wrote on broke. And then God had to do a redo on those. And at one point in Numbers chapter 11, Moses is despairing of life and he asks God to kill him. He says, God, it's enough. I can't handle it. Take my life. Elijah, he's faced a season of real discouragement and depression. Great man of God. Elijah, another one of the greats, he has this amazing victory. He challenges 450 prophets of Baal to a duel to the death on top of Mount Carmel. 
And he says, we'll build an altar of wood and the God that is, is the true God will answer by fire. And so they show up on dual day, 450 on this side, one on this side. They both build their altars. Elijah says, you guys go first. They begin to pray to their gods all day, wailing and yelling. And then they start to cut themselves because they're trying to invoke their gods. And Elijah's making fun of them as the day goes on. Your God's in the bathroom. He'll be out in a minute. Your God's on vacation. Yell louder. He's sleeping. And, um, and then finally it becomes Elijah's turn. He prays a simple prayer and God answers by fire, sets his altar on fire. He wins the duel. They take the 450 prophets of Baal and they kill them as false prophets in Israel. The king at the time was a king named Ahab. And he had the most wicked wife that, that, and, and, and rulers that have ever ruled and reigned in Israel. Ahab and Jezebel. And Jezebel was a wicked, nasty woman. And she hears what what Elijah just did to her 450 prophets. And she's upset and she's going to get him. And Elijah, like Forrest Gump, takes off running. And he runs to the, literally runs to the other side of the country. When he gets to the other side of Israel, the other side of the country, he finds a tree and he goes underneath a tree and he says, God, kill me. It's enough. I can't handle it anymore. Must have been a scary woman, huh? He just defeated 450 prophets of Baal. And this one wicked woman is out to get him and he's scared. And God, God ministers to him there and God sends angels and he hadn't eaten while he was running. And, and God sends angels to bring him food. So angel food cake, I'm sure, you know, they bring him and Elijah gets fed there. And then we come to King David. And King David battled with depression his whole life. In and out. What did King David do to soothe his depression? Played worship music to the Lord. He wrote psalms. And psalms are a cure for depression. Worship music is a a God-ordained cure when you're going through seasons of depression. And so David wrote... And, and he learned it, no doubt, from the king that was before him, Saul. And when Saul was faced with a distressing spirit, King Saul would bring King David in. And King David was a talented musician as a young boy and, and throughout his life. And King David would play beautifully for Saul. And the distressing spirits would leave. And David would go on in his life. And he would write psalms. And he would play music unto the Lord as um, a, 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 an absolute antidote for seasons of depression. And so I encourage you when you're going through difficult things, it's worship music, it's uplifting music, it's Christian music, it's reading the Psalms and God will absolutely minister to you and bring joy in your life through that. And then um, who was the next one? Paul, John. So we already talked about John. He's in prison and he sends word to Jesus. And then Paul, Paul and Silas, it says of Paul about Paul and Silas, they said that, that they despaired even of life, records for us in the Bible. Where's in Acts? Oh, I forgot. I was going to memorize them all. See how slick I was? Now I can't remember. Acts 11, maybe? 14? Despaired of life. If you look that up, you'll find it. The Apostle Paul despaired and Silas says they despaired even of life. Ministry was hard. Life was hard. And they got to a point where they just didn't know if they could go on anymore. And, and, and it wasn't anything to do about suicide. And, and that definitely is never in the equation. But they just said, hey, it's, it's enough. Like, life is hard. And, and Paul almost kind of lived there, right? A lot of his ministry. Right? We get to Ephesians and what does Paul say? 
to live or to die. I, they, I, I don't know. But to live is, is Christ and to die is what? Gain. And I'm far, I'm, I'm perplexed between the two, whether to live or whether to die. And Paul was like, and, and I understand, right? I live there. You know how we know we're not of this world? How I know I'm not of this world? I don't like this world. This world is hard at times. And it, and it, and it, and it, it, it what's the word I'm looking for? It grosses me out, discourages me, despairs me. And, and you think, right? How could you not think this little thought? Maybe you're with me. And you guys need to tell my wife this because she doesn't get it. And she doesn't like it when I talk about it. But I'm like, wouldn't it just be so much better? Don't you guys feel like if we were in heaven with Jesus? But you know what? I guess that's on my part lazy, right? Because I know, I know that's my destiny. But I'm here because God has me here for a reason to do a work. And until that work is done, I'm going to be here. But without a doubt, we all live in that, um, that, that, that tearing point, right? Where, where man, God, life, would, life would just be great if I was in heaven with Jesus in a place that the Bible describes as no more years, no more tears, no more fears. Nothing terrible, only blessing in streets of gold and on and on and on and on. And, and, and so Paul is in that position and he says, we despaired of life. Like ministry was hard for Paul. If, if you're not sure what Paul went through, read his list. It's like this long. And just pause on everyone and think if you went through it. We read through that list like it was nothing. Shipwrecked three times. Beaten with 40 stripes minus one five times by the Jews. Just that one alone, that one line. Five times the Apostle Paul was beaten with rods and whips like Jesus faced, but not to that degree. Five times in his life he received 40 lashes minus one. I'd like, to, like you guys to receive one lash minus one in Jesus' name and see how well you do. You know, And, and so life can be hard and, and it's okay not to be okay. So, again, all that, you guys, was just to say that real, real good, amazing Bible people go through hard times. So it's okay when you go through them. Don't, don't feel like you're going to be excluded or that you're better than or that you're above or that you have to feel bad about yourself or that you have to feel guilty if you're going through a rough season. Just don't stay there. There is victory for you in Jesus' name. I promise you that. There is absolute victory for you in Jesus' name. You, you know, unfortunately, what happens is people get attention in their depression, becomes addictive. They, 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 they like to be stuck there. And there's an offer to get out from the Lord, from help, from other things. And they don't take it because they get stuck there. And that's not a good place to be. God, God, God has a way out. But as you go through things, as we go through discouragement, it's normal. So John is absolutely discouraged here. And it says in verse 4, And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you see. So Jesus says, just tell him the fruit. He doesn't preach to him anything. He says, go and tell him what's going on out here. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And so I'm sure when John got this message back, he was probably like, oh, you know, probably feeling a little bad about, about his discouragement and then realizing that, that good stuff was happening and he was asking Jesus. And you know what John was saying, right? John just missed the fact, and so many of the, even the disciples, they missed the fact that Jesus was going to die on a cross. Now, the Old Testament is full of prophecies of Jesus' coming. Now, what you and I have hindsight about, which is real easy for us, is that we understand that all the prophecies of the Old Testament have 
two fulfillments in Jesus Christ, right? His first coming, he was going to come as a lamb who would be slain. He was going to come as a suffering servant. His second coming, he's going to come as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's going to come with a sword out of his mouth. He's going to come with judgment in his hand. He's going to come and he's going to judge a Christ rejecting world. But he's going to come and he's going to rule and reign. But, but John didn't have the luxury that you and I have of, of seeing the two fulfillments in the Old Testament prophecies. So, so many of the Bible guys, they thought, so many of the Bible people thought and, and read and knew the prophecies of the Messiah coming as a king and were under the impression that when Messiah came, he would overthrow the Roman government. He would set up his kingdom here on earth. And John was under that same impression. And John says, are you the one to come or should we look for another? In other words, since you are the Messiah, John knew he was the Messiah. Since you are the Messiah, when are you going to overthrow the Roman government? When are you going to get me out of this prison? Because they don't serve locusts and wild honey in here. And I'm not liking my meals. You know, I was thinking about John eating locusts and wild honey. Like I get the locusts, kind of like grasshoppers, bugs, right? You could catch some locusts, right? And Eventually, you maybe you get a flavor for him. But how did John get the wild honey? Did he go attack a beehive? No, nobody's done that before. He didn't have like a bee suit. He didn't have like a supermarket where he went and bought his wild honey. He had to like go out in the wilderness somewhere and attack a beehive. I think he was all nacho libre and just put his head down and ran into the beehive and just took it. You know, all the bee stings and, and he wore camel's hair. Anybody ever rode a camel? We're going to Israel in a couple months. And, and you'll have opportunity when we go to Israel to ride a camel. Especially this year, we take the extension to Petra, Jordan. And in Petra, you can ride a camel. Don't worry, it's not fun. It's an experience. You can say you've done it. But you're like 10 feet in the air. So it's, if you're afraid of heights, you're way up there. It's not easy. The camel walks real kind of obnoxious and bouncy and, and slow. But anyways, the camel hair is very coarse. And, and it's not soft. And John wears camel hair. He eats locusts. He, he drinks honey um, from the wild honey. And, and it says in verse 7, And they departed. Jesus began to say to the multitude concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? How does verse 7 start? And they departed. So the messengers that were going back to John, like he waited till they left, and then he starts singing John's praises. Like you'd think that he could have said it in their presence and then they could have went back to the prison where John was and said, hey, John, Jesus said that good stuff is happening. And man, you should have heard what he said about you. He said you were in a reed shaking in the wind. He said you were the greatest thing and the greatest prophet that's ever lived. But Jesus waited until they left. So they go back to John with this kind of like bad news. Maybe Jesus knew better that, that, that John didn't need to hear that. Maybe sometimes for you and I, we don't need to hear those things. Maybe we just need to hear the reality of, of, of the truth. And, you know, and even though Jesus is proud of you and, you know, he just doesn't want to puff us up with pride or John. And so he just gives him the story. And then he begins to tell everybody else how amazing John was. A reed shaken in the wind. John was not that. That's that's our, our everyday politicians today. Whatever way the, the wind shakes, you know, they change their policies all the time based on where the vote is and what's popular and, you know, what side of immigration, what side of everything they stand on. It's changing all the time based on what's popular. That wasn't John. Do you know why John was in prison here in, in, in Matthew chapter 11? 
because he was um, he told Herod publicly. He called out Herod, who was the the patriarch, not the patriarch. He was the ruler of um, ambassador. What's the word? What's the right word? He was the one who Rome had in place um, in Jerusalem at the time to rule over that region. And so Herod, the Roman ruler who was in charge of that area, um, he went and he took his brother's wife, Herodias, stole her from his brother, brought her back to Jerusalem, divorced his own wife and married who also was his nephew. The Herods were a twisted family. We know that, right? He marries Herodias and John tells everybody and him in public, it's sin. You're living in sin and denounces Herod and his sin in front of everybody. And calls him out on it. Because he's not a reed shaken by the wind. And he calls sin, sin. And, and Herod has John thrown in prison. And you guys know how the story ends, right? Herodias' daughter. Sexy young little thing. She, they have a party. Herod's having a party with all his friends. And they're all drunk. And Herodias sends her in to dance seductively in front of the party. And Herod enjoys it so much that he says... You can have anything you want as your reward up to half my kingdom. And she says, and her mom had already whispered in her ear. She said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And Herod, the Bible says that Herod was, was bummed. Street language. Because he, he did have a respect for John the Baptist. And he liked hearing him preach and teach. Even though he didn't like him talking about him. But he did have a respect for John the Baptist. But nonetheless, because everybody heard his his decree and his prideful saying that he gave, he delivered it. And they sent an executioner who goes to the prison and delivers the head of John the Baptist on a platter to Herodias. So that's John's fate. And then in verse number nine, it says, but what did you go out to see? I'm sorry, verse eight. But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are, are in king's houses. So soft clothing would just be fancy clothes, you know, really nice clothes. You go to see somebody speak publicly and they dress in suits and they dress fancy to impress everybody. That wasn't John. He could care less. He wore camel's hair when you came to his church. Now, John, what, you know, Jesus said, what did you go out to see? Really, you had to go out of your way to go find John in his ministry. It wasn't like John went to the most populated places and tried to draw a crowd. John went as far away from everybody as he could. He set up and people went out to see him by the droves. And when they showed up, he said, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad you guys came today. Welcome to our church. We have all these programs and all these wonderful things for you. We don't want to offend you. We want to make sure you're happy today. And he had really nice clothes on. And right. No, of course, that wasn't John. When people showed up, he said, you snakes in the grass. Who warned you to flee from the, 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 the rat that was to come? Repent of your sins or you're going to hell. And he was dressed all funky and had honey dripping down his lo- lip and locust brains stuck in his teeth. And I mean, that was John. Like he wasn't messing around. He was preaching the gospel and he was the forerunner for Jesus. And people went out by the droves to see him. Should tell us something about our churches today, right? And, 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 and people went to go see John. He, and Jesus is like, what'd you guys go out to see? This guy was phenomenal. He didn't go out to see somebody who was dressed fancy. You didn't go out to see somebody that was putting on a nice show. And he said, but what you did go out to see, a prophet. 
Yes, and I say to you more than a prophet, for this is he of whom was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you, who will prepare your way before you. So John was prophesied of in the Old Testament, and the prophecy said that one would come before Jesus who would prepare the way for Jesus. And now John is, Jesus is telling everybody, look, that, that verse, that prophecy, that's John. John fulfilled that. He is the one who was to come before me to prepare the way. And he says in verse 11, Assuredly, I say to you, those born of women, there has not been risen one greater than John the Baptist. Mic drop. Boom. I mean, at that point, right? Jesus says there's not one been given. Um, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. Amazing compliment. Amazing kind of like, you know, moment for John and for those. And then he says, but, oh man, there's a but coming. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What? Back up. John's the greatest, but whoever's least in the kingdom is greater than John. What does that mean? That's what Jesus said. Now let's first take a survey in our, in our church today. We're almost done, you guys. Give me a few more minutes. Um, it, once we all get to heaven, assuming we're all going, right? Assuming you all got your lives right with Jesus, we're all going to heaven. Um, when we get there and the whole multitude of eternity is there, are, are, would you, are you, do you consider yourself one of the greats uh, among heaven? Uh, you know, me personally, I think I'm going to fit in the class of one of the least. And, and I think if we're all being honest, right, we probably fit in the class if I go through the aisles in, 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 and we wouldn't consider ourselves, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Anybody in here going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven when we get there? So if we're not the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, we're probably going to fit in the class of the least somewhere. So that's good company right now, because Jesus just said, if you are the least, then you're greater than John the Baptist after he just spent all this time telling you how great John the Baptist was. But again, the difference is and the key is that John the Baptist was an Old Testament saint. And, and the Bible has to draw a line somewhere. And the, the line that the Bible draws that Jesus drew was that John the Baptist marks the end of the Old Testament. So John the Baptist backward Old Testament. John the Baptist forward New Testament. You, do you realize that nobody in the Old Testament, no, I shouldn't say nobody, but it wasn't like it is today that people in the Old Testament were not filled with the Holy Spirit. People in the Old Testament didn't have the full revelation of the gospel. People in the Old Testament, um, they, they didn't understand the two comings of Jesus Christ. You and I, who are least in the kingdom, because we live on this side of the cross and because we're filled with God's Holy Spirit on a daily basis, we're, we're considered greater in the kingdom of God than John the Baptist was because he lacked revelation because of the time that he lived. And so for you and I who were given the Holy Spirit, what an amazing blessing. What an amazing time to live in, in dispensation, where God has chosen to give you the Holy Spirit. You know, it says about John the Baptist that he was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. There were several in the Old Testament in this class, but I, I want you to understand that that was not the case with Old Testament believers. We have like Samson. Samson was filled with the Holy Spirit. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would show up and give gifts and give skills and help people. And then he would leave again. He wouldn't stay and remain with them. But when Jesus was getting ready to die on the cross, he told his disciples, he said, it's good for you that I go, because if I go, I send a helper. I'll send a helper who, who will comfort you, who will come. And the Holy Spirit wasn't given until when? When? 
Pentecost, first time, Acts chapter 2. That was the first time in human history that, that the Holy Spirit would now indwell every believer. And, and now, today, John the Baptist, who was a very, 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 very rare class of individuals who was filled with the Holy Spirit, you and I are in that class. And you and I have the full dispensation of the gospel. Amen? God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week.